Hi, and welcome to the Well-Read Podcast, a bi-weekly discussion on books and reading. I'm Hallie. And I'm Anne. And we are librarians who love to read and talk about books. And today we're talking about something that makes me very happy. We are talking about <laughs> romances for people who aren't normally romance readers or for people new to romance. We're approaching Valentine's Day. This seemed like a fun topic to cover. And what do you think makes a good entry point for a non-romance reader to enter the romance world since you were not always a romance reader? Oh, that's what I'm going to talk about with my book. So oh, okay. So we don't have to talk away. about it Yeah, I'm, I don't want to reveal you don't want my to give secrets. It away. But I do feel like I'm a good counterpoint or I'm a good I'm a good real life example that we can we can use of someone who was not into romances who still isn't like 100% into romances but has come into the romance world much more yeah it's funny I mean I've talked about this before on the podcast so I'm not going to to belabor the point but I read romances when I was in high school Mm -hmm. it was one of those things where somebody in one of my classes was reading a book and said, have you read this? And I said, no. And she lent it to me and I gobbled it up. It was a historical romance. And so I read a bunch around that time, but just in high school, maybe a little bit in college, not very much. And then I got back into it when I was in graduate school because I was reading a variety of genres to kind of understand the appeal of different mm-hmm. genres. And then again, got away from it and then came back to it Oh, gosh, maybe five or six years ago, something like that. It kind of goes in waves yeah. for me because now I'm, I've mentioned this, romances weren't, aren't, aren't necessarily hitting the mark for me every single time. So I'm more a little bit yeah. pickier now of what romances I pick up. But they definitely serve a purpose in my reading right. life. There is definitely that sense of the predictability is the appeal of a romance. You know that the couple is going to end up together at the end and it's just a matter of reading to find out how they get mm-hmm. there. Uh, and and that's that's why people read romance. So when when I'm in the mood for it, it hits the yeah. spot. Why would, why would you say that it's important that people understand why romance is, is an important part of the fiction landscape? Well, my gosh, it's like the biggest seller in all <laughs> That's what I was books hoping to everywhere. <laughs> yes, uh, it's over a billion dollar industry and romance readers tend to be voracious mm-hmm. readers. So they read quickly. They read a lot. The, when the e-readers, when Kindles came out and then Nooks and all of the different e-readers that are available, r- the romance industry especially exploded mm-hmm. because... There is a bit of a stigma to reading romance, even to this day, even though it's more mainstream now. And people could read on a Kindle and nobody knew what they were reading. So nobody was going to make derogatory comments about the trashy romances that maybe had these bodice ripper covers Mm -hmm. that people were embarrassed about. Suddenly they could read on a Kindle and nobody knew. And it just made them so easily accessible. And also, like I said, romance readers tend to be voracious readers. So they were able to load up their Kindles with, with as right. many romances as they want. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a huge, huge part of publishing. And there are definitely publishing houses where the romances are what support a lot of the more mid-list literary yeah. fiction yeah. kind of writers, authors, um, because romances sell so much. Um, same thing with something like James Patterson, you know, where he sells a whole bunch of books and, and it, that way publishing houses are able to pay authors that don't sell as much because they have those big 
big yeah. sellers. But yeah, romance is a it's a big industry and and has gotten a bad rap over the years. Although I do think it's it's in, like I said, it's becoming more mainstream. Oh, for sure. So I don't it's, think that's come. So I think far. people are owning the fact that they're romance readers and proud of it. And just like any other genre reader, there are certain tropes that are inherent to the the genre or like I said the predictability of the happily ever after and romance readers are like yep that's just part of it that's why we read it you know and again kind of owning that instead of hiding the fact or being embarrassed by the fact that they're romance readers it's Uh, interesting the the publisher for James Patterson and Lauren Hildebrand is the same and uh when I hope I'm not speaking out of turn to say this but when we have publisher meetings I would assume that James Patterson would be their hugest author by far. By far, and right. it's not. It's Lauren Hill, or uh, not Lauren Hildebrand. Eulen um, Hildebrand. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> totally different yeah. uh, genre, and that and that to me is is so indicative of the um, the perception of what or, or the fact that James Patterson is is just so widely considered to be the biggest author mm. in publishing, and authors like Danielle Steele mm-hmm. or others who are routinely looked down on mm-hmm. they're they're kind of equivalents right. as far as right. quality and what they're and I'm not saying that in a negative way right. but they're 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 hitting the same marks for two different demographics but one is considered not great literature but but is respected in a way that these others are made fun of right and it all comes down to its romance. Yep. Well, it's interesting. So Colleen Hoover, who I will say is not a romance author mm-hmm. because her stories don't necessarily have a happy ending. I'm guessing everybody who's listening knows who Colleen Hoover is. She has <laughs> taken over the bestseller list. And she has she sold 14 million books in 2022. And that is more than the Bible sold, which usually the Bible mm-hmm. is the, the most, the highest selling book every year so clearly there's an audience and again she's not a romance reader she's I don't even know really how you would classify her she yeah well the whole books are all over the place yeah so I mean sort of like angsty love stories I guess I would say yeah. kind of but but not even not really not love I don't know <laughs> yeah anyway I don't even know and maybe that's why she's captured people's attention sort of stuff in there too yeah yeah. yeah. Anyway, but maybe that's why, because she's offering something that nobody else is offering. Yeah. But I think that she's certainly not considered literary by any means. She's not going to win any literary awards anytime soon. She certainly sells books. There's certainly mm-hmm. an audience for it. And I think that romance is similar, where it's you can have very well-written romance. You can also have poorly written romance, just like mm-hmm. any other genre. But there's an appeal to, they tend to be easy to read. They're not going mm-hmm. to be ones that stretch your brain the way a book that has very complicated structure or very, I don't know, like, uh, I'm trying to think of a good example of an author where, like David Mitchell or something, where you just right. really have to pay attention to the right. the story that's being told. Romance is much more straightforward or tends to right. be much more straightforward. Well, and even, so it's an even escape. with... The difference of mystery versus romance, one is supposed to be exercising, the, like, it's an intellectual genre. Right. And I don't, I don't mean intellectual in, like, a superior right. way, just it's one is brain. hitting emotions, yeah. one is hitting the intellect, and it's trying to do two different things, and one is not better than the other. It's just going for entirely different things. So uh, the sooner we can stop talking about genre as... I know. Uh, as rankings yeah i know them, i know it's the ridiculous that it even still happens be. really 
Right. Um, but yes, it is an emotional genre. Actually, and I think I've mentioned this before, but horror and romance are actually very similar in right. that way in that they are both emotion-based reading experiences. The idea right. is to make you feel something when you read them. And with romance, it's obviously like swoony, happy feelings, sometimes kind of angst. There is a sense, uh, mm-hmm. area of romance that is focused on the angstiness of, of love but ultimately it ends with a hopeful happy ending and the the couple is together at the end Mm -hmm. okay so why don't we go ahead and get started so I think part of the reason we're doing this topic is just to try to say if you're curious about romance and you haven't read it before or you haven't thought of yourself as somebody that might like romance we thought we would present you with some books that maybe would entice you in some way to or Mm -hmm. be a good entry point right yeah yeah Okay. Or even if you don't want to read them, maybe just to change your mind a little bit about right. your perceptions right. of them. Okay. Want to go first? Sure. First off, I will say I will apologize because I try, as, as I know Hallie does too, to be inclusive in yeah. our picks. My books are not inclusive in any way because <laughs> I am not a huge romance reader right. uh, just generally. So I don't have as many to pick from. And I had really specific things I wanted to touch on as the reasons that I think some people stay away from romance and poor planning on my part meant that I had talked about all the books that (laughs) I thought fit those things that are were inclusive and so so that's just not the case this time so I I truly apologize for that so um so the first book I'm going to talk about is People We Meet on Vacation by Emily Henry and just Emily Henry generally because I think she is a great entry point for someone who is not uh, naturally uh, attracted to romance um, I probably would have actually preferred book lo- lovers over this book because I think it plays with the tropes so much mm-hmm. um, in ways that I think are really fun for people who have maybe stumbled upon a Hallmark movie <laughs> and made fun of it at some point in their life. Um, and and so really, I, I would like to do that one. But we've talked about that one pretty recently. Mm-hmm. So, um, But this, this uh, People We Meet on Vacation, I think, is still a really good example of what I want to focus on, which is romance with adult problems to overcome mm-hmm. um in saying that i will probably do a lot of qualifiers <laughs> during this discussion of saying i'm not trying to ever disparage other romance right. things that are are not what i'm talking about because uh they serve their purpose well they they are there for a reason there are many many people that love them i've loved many of those books too but for me they generally are not terribly satisfying to me in a romantic way because it doesn't it just doesn't hit my emotions right. in the way that this kind of book does. That's that's because everyone needs different things. And thank goodness uh, that we all have uh, books that can appeal to those Well, things. exactly. So, thank goodness there are so many books out there that right. we can choose. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, so I'm imagining that for many people who have not enjoyed romance, this may that might also be the case, that, that those kinds of more fluffy sort of the, the contrived rom-com setup is is maybe what um, that appeals to many people, but maybe for some people that doesn't appeal to. So um, so I like Emily Henry's books because they do have a very light feel to them, but the characters are drawn really, really well. They're, they feel like real nuanced people, and the, compl- the complication for the relationship not working isn't contrived. And so these are the books that make me actually have a feeling when I read a romance, and so I really love them for that reason. So in this book, Poppy and Alex have met in college years before, and they originally came from the same small town, I think in Ohio, if I'm remembering. Yes. 
right? Okay, good. I think um, all of her books have an Ohio connection, I think. I think so, too, but I don't want to swear to it. So when they were in school, they never met, and they are just total opposites in personality. Um, Alex is very responsible and bookish, and Poppy is eccentric and playful, but they are forced to go on a road trip together back home, um, I think, to get home for the holidays. And through that road trip, they become best friends. And so even after life has taken them to different directions in the, in the and, and different locations in the country, they always meet up for an annual trip every summer and they consider it to be the best week of the year and they just have such a great time so this has been going on for for several years but two years before the book starts something has happened and they have barely spoken since and we don't know what that thing is yet so the reason they're able to do this is because poppy works as a travel writer and so she is able to take alex on whatever vacation she or whatever travel location she's going to Um, But she is in a rut and she realizes that the last time she was happy was on this trip uh, with with this last trip with Alex and that she needs to repair things with him. And so she invites him for a new trip and to her her surprise, he actually accepts to go. So she knows that this is her only real chance to fix things between them and that she has to confront the thing that happened between them on this last trip and also um, that there has been some tension Mm -hmm between them through their entire friendship and they are going to have to say things that they've always sort of left unsaid so the way that the friendship is built is just fantastic the way you're kind of doled out information in the now and also the history of of how their friendship came to be and and the way that they play off each other is really really well done it's crazy romantic um Oh, it's so romantic. The se- there are scenes that I still think about of, oh, they're so romantic. Um, and I, I was thinking about this book and I was like, oh, I need to reference something. And then I realized I sold this book and I'm so you mad hate about that? it. It's That's happened. That's happened to me a few different times where I've gotten rid of a book once I've read it. Even a book I've loved, I just think, yeah. okay, I'm done with it. Moving yeah. on. I and then I want to reread it later and I or just lend it to somebody or whatever it is. And I think... Oh, I don't have that book anymore. Yeah. So I'm trying to actually be better about not giving books away immediately when I'm done with them. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, especially with the committee, I mean, I was, my whole mindset was get these books out of the house. Right. Too many books. And yeah, so. And I'm sure that's why I did, because I think I was like, well, I'm keeping a handful of true, true, true favorites. And I thought this was a favorite, but I must have been really trying yeah. to narrow down yeah. and could only keep so many and so um and so i got rid of it and i was super sad so i'm hmm. now have to go buy it again yeah, yeah. anyway right. do you have anything to add about emily no henry i love or? love love emily henry so much i'm so glad you picked one of her books to talk about i think she is an excellent entry point for all of the reasons that you said but i just think she and there's a book i'm going to talk about that that fits this as well and there i think there are quite a few authors actually right now that really, there's kind of a fuzzy line between that more relationship fiction and romance. I was romance. just going to say that, yeah. So the, there's just as much emphasis on the characters' lives and other relationships as, as that mm-hmm. main romance. So the romance is still central, mm-hmm. but it's not the only thing in the story where I think some romances, because that... It, it truly is the focus of the book is the romance. And so I can mm-hmm. see why some people wouldn't like that necessarily. So I think Emily Henry is a great choice for people who are less inclined to pick up a romance, but because there, I think there's a lot of other things. I would also say somebody I thought about 
including on my list, was Beth O'Leary, who has oh, written yeah, yeah. three books, I think, maybe four. And I think she does actually a very similar thing to Emily Henry, where there's quite a bit of romance. I mean, they are, ro- well, most of them are romances, but I don't know. It definitely straddles yeah. that line. Yeah, there's a big, we're seeing a lot more romance um, in, in general romance world of the character having one or either or both of the characters mm-hmm. having to overcome mm-hmm. some personal yeah like, like, to to find personal growth and and yeah. to have an emotional journey yeah. um i think and that's super that's common but that's that's to me much stronger in yeah. these books where it really does get fuzzy of it feels more like it's relationship mm. this is it's like the perfect marriage between those two things i was going to say i think that what keeps people maybe from picking up romance is the feeling that the characters are very two-dimensional and kind of stock characters and they don't have nuance and I think that I'm guessing there have always been romances where that was not the case but I do think we're in a time where the characters are more fully formed and feel like real people versus just these fantasy versions because it is a fantasy Mm-hmm. All romance is a fantasy, and the romance books are fantasies, uh, but they do feel like real people versus just these stock characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so my first one is The Duchess Deal by Tessa Dare. Uh, <laughs> have you read this? I remember. I, is this the one that you had me read? Did I have you read this? I can't remember. I, re- I had to read one where she shows up in a wedding yes! dress at the very beginning. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. So I'm going to say the same thing about Tessa Dare that you just said about Emily Henry, which is I I truly think you could probably start with any of her books and they'd be good entry points. I haven't read her earliest stuff, so maybe it's not true from her original books that she wrote years ago. But everything I've read that she's written in probably the past 10 years, I think you could read any of them. So I'm just going with this one because it's the first in her most current series. And so I think that's kind of a good entry point. But I've talked about this before that with romances, you typically do not need to read them in order because the central couple, or at least one of the main characters, has just appeared as a side character in Mm -hmm. previous books. So there's really no spoilers or anything if you haven't read the previous books. That tends to be true. Uh, So the reason I'm putting Tessa Dare on here, and I really debated (laughs) about (laughs) which author to represent in the category of Regency romance because Regency romances are a huge part of the romance publishing world. I think that if you're curious about romance and interested in kind of reading a few different romances or I don't know, I just think Regency romances is definitely a place to explore because it is so big, it is so popular. Um, But ultimately I went with Tessa Dare because I think that a lot of people watched Bridgerton on Netflix Mm -hmm. the last few seasons that have come out and really liked it who maybe never read the books or Regency romance at all and I think Tessa Dare has a very similar tone to her books that Julia Quinn does to the Bridgerton books so I'm going to make a side recommendation that if you haven't read the Bridgerton (laughs) series that's a great series as well Uh, but I felt like that was a pretty obvious choice because Bridgerton was such a big show the last few seasons that it's been on Netflix. So I thought Tessa Dare was a great choice because she has a lot of humor. There are 
they're Regency romances, but they definitely have a modern sensibility where the female characters have a lot of agency. So it doesn't feel like, I think, again, there was a perception of alpha male just barging in and you're going to do what I say and all these things. And, and Tessa Dare's heroines are not wallflowers ever. Even if they're shy, they're, they stand their ground. So that was a lot of setup for, for this book. So as Anne said, uh, the, the book opens with the main character, Emma, coming to a Duke's house in a wedding dress um, that she never received payment for because the wedding that was planned was canceled. And so she is a seamstress. She, cre- she made this wedding dress she wants her money. She needs her money. She needs to get paid. And so she shows up. He proposes to her after <laughs> after they, they talk. He, so there's a, there's a bit of a suspension of disbelief needed in the romance. But he, he looks at her, and it's a business proposal, basically. It is, he, she needs money, and the status that would come with being the Duke's wife would help her business basically and he needs an heir and so he has uh, a lot of scars on his face and body from battles that he was in some sort of war I don't know which one Um, terrible with history and he believes that he's pretty much hideous to look at and so he thinks that this is the and, and that's part of the reason his wedding was called off was because the his his fiance made him feel that way and so he feels like the only way that he'll be able to get married and have an heir is to do it in this way to to make it where it's a marriage of convenience that they're both going to get something out of it and so then we follow uh emma and the duke as we think you see if she accepts this proposal or not and what happens from there tessa dare's heroines are are very strong characters uh, who know their minds. And so it's fun to watch the way the romance play, or I think it's fun to watch the way the romance plays out, especially when you have the male character who is maybe a little bit more insecure and you have the female character that's very confident. And it's fun to, to watch how that plays out. As you may have guessed, this is a take on Beauty and the Beast, uh, which is a common theme in romance where you'll see well-known stories getting a romance novel treatment. So it kind of overlays a well-known story. Uh, in fact, there's an author, Eloisa James, that I think every single book she's ever written has that quality to it. And so I thought that was a good entry point for somebody who hasn't read romance because you know the Beauty and the Beast story pretty well. And you can see how Tessa Dare takes that and turns it into this Regency romance. So that is The Duchess Deal by Tessa Dare. <laughs> I think that so when I realized that those sorts of scenarios were supposed to be funny yeah and not just because that because I used to roll my eyes about that kind of scenario like setup and then when I realized it's meant to be tongue-in-cheek and and meant to be like a funny funny setup yeah then it went a long way in making me more um, yeah, it's all open to romance cheap, yeah because yeah, it isn't supposed to be isn't this so romantic that oh no she showed up in this yeah. and that he asks her to marry him like it it isn't at all it's supposed to be ridiculous yeah. and i listened to um i listened to some i think it must have been a, a pop culture happy hour episode that was all about romance and they were just laughing and laughing about these various um, usually historicals that they had read yeah. that were set up so goofily but because of the the history of the bodice ripper yeah. 
that was sort of serious. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There was a time. I mean, I know I've talked about this before, but there was a time where it wasn't okay for women to own their sexuality or say Mm -hmm. what they wanted or anything like that or, like, express desire. And so a lot of romances were the only way that the character, the female characters could enjoy their sexual encounters were if they were forced into the situation. Mm -hmm. And so that's where a lot of that came from is they were in these, what we would think of as ridiculous situations. You know, they were forced to marry somebody Mm -hmm. or caught in the garden with a man and then, you know, everybody's talking about them. They're their reputation is ruined because they were kissing somebody or whatever it was. And so then it becomes acceptable for them to be enjoying sex because they they didn't have a choice, basically. Right. Um, right. So we've come a long way from that, thankfully. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's that's very much the way romance used to be. That Romances haven't aged very well. If you go back, if, if you ever see a list of 100 greatest romances of all time or something like that, there are romances from the 80s and 90s that, that do not age well if you try to read mm-hmm. them now with modern eyes. Shoot, I'd put the, the Duke and I on that. List. Oh, heck yeah, the Duke and I is on that. I think that they've revised it. They're, or no, uh, Whitney, My Love by Judith McNaught is a very famous romance that many, I read it in high school. That was one of the ones that when I referred to reading a bunch in high school, and there are very problematic scenes in that one <laughs> that they have since revised in, in editions yeah. that come out now because they're so problematic. Yee. I know. All right, what's your next one? Um, so the next book I picked is The Bodyguard by Catherine Center. And I picked this as an example of romance that doesn't contain sex but isn't inspirational. Um, a lot of people I know aren't interested in, in romance because they don't ro- want to read sex scenes, but they don't necessarily also want a Christian focus either and that sort of for a long time felt like it was a no-go right (laughs) there's just that that space just didn't exist and that there's a lot more out there right now Um, I did want to mention that if you are looking for inspirational romance I would suggest uh, Victoria Christopher Murray Mm -hmm. um, Tracy Chapman or Shelley Shepard Gray are three major major authors that can um, take you down that path if that's probably where I would start with with that in that area and there are a lot more <laughs> to what, choose from, too. One thing, can I interject real quickly? Sorry. Sure. So I will say one warning I would give that if you're starting with romance and you've not read it much before, I would probably, if it's not a chaste romance, I would warn away from listening to audiobooks. Because oh, yeah. It is a different experience to listen to sex scenes being described than it is to read them. <laughs> and so even for me, who I have read a lot of romances, it can make me blush. I was just reading one or listening to one today that I'm going to be talking about. And I was in the car by myself blushing about what I was hearing. So I will yeah. just put that out there that if you are an audiobook listener and have not read romance before... I would be cautious about it. Maybe not. Maybe everybody else is fine with this, but I think it's a very different experience to listen to romance than it is yeah, to read romance. I agree with that. So. Even even historicals, when it's it's a sex scene, the way that they're read almost is funny to me, just uh-huh. because it's so uh, they're just so ridiculous. <laughs> so, um, yeah, there's there's just a lot a lot to negotiate with those. But so in this book, like I said, it's not. It, it doesn't have a sex scene. It's almost entirely about the getting together 
uh, to the big dramatic moment when they indicate that they're interested in, in each other. And and that to me is something that uh, isn't as common in romance as it used to, at, at least in the way that I think of romance. Um, a lot of it now is uh, more that they get together, then there's a complication. But in this case, it's a book where they're it's all about getting to that moment of telling each other that they love each other so it's um, about a woman named hannah brooks and she is what's called an executive protection agent which is basically a bodyguard and she's exceptional at her job but her life is not really going well because her mother has just died and uh she comes back from the funeral and she's she just wants to work she wants to work through um all of her feelings and that's what she's always done and she's told that she can't do that and her boyfriend that she uh, works with has uh, also decides to dump her at the same time. And so she's really sort of spinning her wheels of not knowing how to, how to handle these feelings and that she's always poured herself into work in those situations. So she is not sure how to sort of come out of these, these hardships. And she decides that she wants to try to get this prestigious position in London, but because um, of the way that the company is structured, she's going to be forced to compete against this ex-boyfriend in order to to get this position. So she's told that if she wants to be in the running for it, she's going to need to take a position as a bodyguard for a Hollywood A-lister named Jack Stapleton, and he's going to be at his childhood home in Texas with his family. And he hasn't been seen in public for a while because there was some sort of tragedy that took place in the family. But his mother has recently been diagnosed with cancer and he needs to be there to help her with the treatments and the fam the, the running of the family farm. So um, he he is sort of coming out of hiding, I guess, to to help his family in the situation. But the problem is that he has a stalker and the, this woman has been obsessed with him and it's all kind of funny stuff that she does, but it still is a concern that uh, needs to be dealt with. So. Jack doesn't want his family to know that he has the stalker. And so when Hannah is hired, he begs her to pretend to be his girlfriend, to give her a reason to be there that isn't guarding him because he doesn't want his family to know that's the situation. So everything pretty much that happens with a fake relationship trope then happens because of course they have to share a room and a, and a bed. And of course there's an entire backstory that has to be created for his family to believe them. Um, and of course, they start to actually have feelings uh, uh, towards each other, but then don't know what's real and what isn't. And so there's all of those those elements that are, are very popular with the, the fake relationship trope. I would say, um, kind of like uh, what I was saying earlier, this has a really, really strong rom-com feel in the movie sense of rom-com, because it's it's all the will they or won't they and getting to that final kiss at the end whereas a lot of romance is being written right now that happens more in the middle of the book and then there's a conflict that keeps them apart that they have to to figure out but this is all tension of them liking each other but not together for most of the book so it's very fun i will say that we discussed this book in my committee and there were some issues with how jack's character is portrayed he mentioned some neurodivergency early on but then it never really engages with that in the in the book so maybe be forewarned about that because it's it's definitely not a perfect book, but I think if you're looking for something that has a classic rom-com feel, it has a lot of goofy situations and nice banter and a lot of opposites attract chemistry between the couple, then this definitely has that and it doesn't have any on-page sex, so this would be a good pick. 
uh, I said earlier that I was annoyed about having some books that I had discussed recently that would have been other good picks in that in this category. And Holly, uh, Holly Jolly Diwali is another one that is a very, very good example of a no sex mm-hmm. romance. So there are two for you. And that is The Bodyguard by Catherine Center. I like Catherine Center. She, again, I'm just like a broken record. She also, I think, very much is in that relationship fiction romance vein where. Yeah, for sure. Which is, I'm guessing, why we are choosing these books, because if there is a feel <laughs> that is separate, maybe, from romance. Yeah. Yeah, that one definitely had a lot of personal growth yeah. that I found very, very affecting Yeah, and cried my little heart out Aww. at a certain part of the book. So Aww. it made me feel things. Made you feel, which is what it's supposed to do. <laughs> All right, my next one is Part of Your World by Abby Jimenez. And I do think Abby Jimenez is one that you can read any of hers, but this is the one I liked of the best of hers. So that's why I chose this one. I almost positive I talked about this one before as of what I was reading that week. I'm just gonna give a little recap because I don't expect everybody to remember every book I've ever talked about. <laughs> uh, but it's how about, dare they? I know, how dare they not memorize it. Okay, so it is about a doctor named Alexis who is very driven and ambitious. She comes from a long line of doctors in her family. Her father is a well-known surgeon, I believe, and they, I mean, I think they have wings of the hospital named after them, after their family. And her brother has just done Doctors Without Borders and has just decided he is not coming back to wherever they live. I almost want to say it's Nashville, but maybe that's just because I'm talking to you. Anyway, I don't know where they live. So it's up to her to carry on this legacy. And she has a stressful job. She's an ER doctor. And so to get away from that stress, she likes to go to this small town that's maybe an hour or two away from wherever she lives. Just goes there to kind of decompress. I think there's a lake there or something that she goes. And one day or one evening as she's on the road, she tries to avoid a raccoon and ends up in a ditch. And somebody who is passing by ends up towing her out of the ditch, and it's a very attractive man. Well, then, later that evening, she is at a bar and sees him, and they play a little trick on his friends because his friends make a bet that he could take her home that night. And so because they've already met, he comes over, and they pretend that they're going to leave together, and it's just this cute little setup, like a kind of like a cute little meet-cute situation. But then they do end up spending the night together because they have this immediate <laughs> chemistry. Then what the, what the story is is that she is torn between this guy who lives in the small town. He's the mayor of the small town. He's also 10 years younger than she is, a very kind person, a good person, but a whole different lifestyle than what she is accustomed to what her family expects of her, all these things. So she has to reconcile that with these feelings she's having with the expectations of her family. And I'm very sorry, everybody. My dogs are playing right below me. We tried to pause (laughs) to let them stop playing, but we are running up against the amount of time we have to record, and so we're just going to have to power through. But I apologize. Never complain about a a dog in the background. That's Well, this is, I mean, they're literally right right next to me. <laughs> anyway, so there are so many reasons I love this book. There are so many reasons I put this on my list. In, and mainly, there's a lot of humor in it, which I love. Um, and I think it's a good representation of current romantic comedies. A lot like how you said about Emily Henry. 
and what she brings to the books that she writes. Um, and their characters, the characters in this book felt like they had real problems. This is a real problem. This woman has a career that is not in the same place with this man that she is falling in love with. And, and what, what do they do with that? So it doesn't feel, a lot of times, and I think that's why sometimes romance works for me and sometimes it doesn't, is the drama can feel manufactured because you know they're going to end up together at the end. So you have mm-hmm. to buy into whatever is making it so they're not together as soon as they're falling for each other, right? Like you need to, there needs to be, whatever the obstacle is needs to be worth spending 300 or 400 pages with these characters. So I think Abby Jimenez does a nice job of making her characters feel like real people with real problems and not just manufactured reasons why they can't be together. So that is Part of Your World by Abby Jimenez. But again, I think you could probably pick up any of hers. The first book of hers I really loved. It was called The Friend Zone, and I loved it when I read it. But there's some stuff at the end of that book that I felt like didn't maybe land very well or as she intended it to land. I don't know. I don't want to say too much because it would be a spoiler. But so I would just be aware of that. I don't know that I would start there because I'm not sure that you would love that book so much as maybe some of her others. Have you read The Friend Zone? Uh Uh-uh, I haven't. Okay. It's some stuff about pregnancy and motherhood and things like that that I just think that people, it could be a turnoff to people. Interesting. Just be aware. Like, if that's something that's, would be you'd be sensitive to I think read some reviews ahead of time but to make sure you want to read that book so my my last book is nine rules to break when romancing a rake by Sarah McLean a title still makes me laugh I read this uh way 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 back when we did our first out of our comfort zone episode and so I highly picked this for me specifically because I didn't read romance at the time uh, very much at all and it was a surprise hit with me And so I figured, why not include the book that was scientifically proven to make me a romance reader, to make a non-romance reader read romance, which is the point of this episode. So um, so that's why I threw this in. The uh, main character or the, the heroine of this book is Lady Calpurnia Hartwell, and she lives in Regency London, and she's considered a plain, boring spinster, and she's always done what's expected of her by her family and by society. And so she, at some point, decides that she has no hope of marriage. And since she has no hope of marriage, she might as well do what she wants. And she uh, wants to enjoy life. And so she decides to create a list of things that she could do without judgment if she were a man, but she has never been able to do as a woman. And that starts with a passionate first kiss. So she has her eye on the notorious bad boy, Gabriel, the Marquis of Ralston. She's always had a crush on him. And so she arrives unannounced at his house in the middle of the night and decides to kiss him. So this begins a series of adventures, which include visiting a tavern and drinking scotch and firing a pistol. And somehow Gabriel becomes involved in all of these things. And there are very romantic and sexual consequences um, because of of this relationship that they have so yes there is a lot of sex in this book um it's stuff that you can see coming a mile away though so if you're someone who doesn't want to read that that is easily skipped or skimmed if it's not your thing um but this would would definitely appeal to someone that enjoys steamy reads but um there's enough going on in the rest of the book if you are not interested in that. Sort of to give some background, before I started reading romance, I felt that romance was pretty anti-feminist because the women needed saving and there were male saviors 
and I thought they created harmful expectations for relationships um, and just the writing I thought made women seem silly and helpless and I still think that there are many many people who stay away from romance because they have that view and I will say it's a very 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 outdated view I don't I don't think that way anymore I don't think that's the way romance is but the reason that this book appealed to me so much is that it's really feminist because it still has the has all the tropes of a classic historical romance but the main character isn't some impossibly beautiful ideals idealized woman but she is seen as valuable and attractive for her own sake and she takes her own story into her own hands and i i think that um that's what feminism uh means to me so there are lots and lots of of passages that i remember thinking were really really wise um as i was reading this book um many five years ago or something at this point and a lot of stuff that was applicable to the modern woman and i remember crying when i read this book so uh it has remained uh, sort of dear to my heart so that is nine rules to break when romancing a rake by sarah mclean i am so glad you put this one on your list okay. i really 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 was very close to putting this on mine which we would have discussed because we both would have been putting it on <laughs> right yeah i mean i think sarah mclean was in recent years as i came back to romance that was what brought me back to romance with sarah mm-hmm. McClure, this, this series in particular i love this series so much in fact as you were talking i was thinking i might need to reread these <laughs> i just loved them so much. i especially loved i think it was the so it's 9 10 11 is this series and um i don't remember their all the titles uh but i think 10 um was the one it's got a heroine who is getting married and feels like she's very scientific or like very mm-hmm. s- sort of research oriented and so she decides she's going to understand sex scientifically <laughs> and like be taught <laughs> everything she needs to know i don't know i just loved her i loved the story um but yeah i think sarah mclean again if if anybody wants to read regency romance i don't know if she writes regency anymore she might write georgian now or something i don't remember yeah anyway I feel like some victorian yeah too anyway um i have gotten behind on hers i haven't read her last few but i need to catch up because i she's a pretty consistently solid author for me in romance yeah for sure okay so my last one is aisha at last by uzma jalaluddin and there are a few reasons that i picked this one first like Anne's pick, uh, this is a chaste romance. There is very, it's a closed door romance. You're not going to get too explicit. So for people who I know that there are people out there who uh, don't like that, this is this is one you might want to pick up. The second reason I chose this is because it's a modern adaptation of Pride and Prejudice. And so I think people who are familiar with Pride and Prejudice might enjoy this for that reason, even though this is a romance, I mean, Pride and Prejudice is a romance too, but I don't know if everybody thinks of it that way. Um, so I think you might enjoy this for for that reason, because it's a very well done, in my opinion, modern adaptation of Pride and Prejudice. Um, and like all the other ones we've talked about today, it does a very nice job of of fully fleshing out the characters and their problems and their families and their careers and all those things. And the romance is a part of the story and maybe not the whole story. It is about Aisha and Khalid, and they're both Muslims living in Toronto. However, Khalid is very conservative in his observation of the religion, and Aisha takes a more liberal approach. And so Khalid is expecting that he will enter into an arranged marriage 
Um, and Aisha has no interest in that. She <laughs> is a teacher. She longs to be a poet. She does like poetry slams and things at night. Is independent and no no interest in an arranged marriage in, in any way. But her cousin is. So they, it, it's at one point in the beginning of the story, she is mistaken for her cousin. Khalid thinks that she is somebody that he is meeting as a potential um, spouse. <laughs> and they immediately, uh, so they meet, it's a, it's, a, it's a committee that they're on at their mosque, and they meet there, and he thinks it is this person that he is being uh, introduced to for a potential marriage, and they just have terrible impressions of each other. They just think that they have nothing in common. It's the Pride and Prejudice setup. They just think that she thinks he's rude and kind of standoffish. He thinks she's too loud and exuberant and opinionated, and they just do not hit it off. But their paths keep crossing, and they start realizing that that initial impression was maybe not an accurate representation of who the who the other one is. I loved this one for the love story part of it, but I also loved it because it really does stay very true to the Pride and Prejudice while also feeling current. So mm-hmm. I think that there are a lot of Pride and Prejudice adaptations that try to pigeonhole mo- like modern values and like the way people approach modern life with the same social structures that existed when Pride and Prejudice was written or you know the er- era that Pride and Prejudice was about and that doesn't always work because we right. are in the 2000s we are not in that time but this worked because of the religion aspect of it and arranged marriage is a part of the religion that some people do still get arranged marriages. So so that all worked really well, I thought. Um, and it's just a really well done story. Like it, it was, they're surrounded by family members and friends that add to the story and their love story is very nice. And I just really, really liked this one. And I think it would make a, a great entry point for because it offers a lot in in like the other ones but this is probably this to me is the least romancy of the ones I've talked about um mm-hmm. and that's Aisha at last by Uzma Jalaluddin we've talked about this before um the, probably on the podcast but also between the two of us of just how how impossible it is to do specifically Pride and Prejudice mm-hmm. in a modern setting because of so much of the conflict being things that don't exist anymore for most western right um women so many so many uh constrictions in in how women are able to live and so this and i would also mention unmarriageable yeah it was a book that i i talked about a lot um a couple of years ago i think that, that came out the same time aisha lasted i think so yeah there was sort of a little a little mm-hmm. uh um renaissance of the of jane austen stuff right then um and and it just works because it's 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 done in a way that is realistic to to specific cultures, and so it, it just felt like oh we we can still tell this story without right. having to bend over backwards. We just have to open up our worlds a little bit more to include right. more voices in it, and it was like oh it just felt so good. I know to, it to just see really that. Did. Yeah. All right, so those are our three each, and with a couple bonus. <laughs> <laughs> 
couple bonus suggestions were covertly slid into our discussion of those six books. Almost like we know what we're doing. Almost. (laughs) All right, we will be right back with what we're reading this week. Okay, Anne, what are you reading this week? Um, This week I'm listening to The Paris Apartment by Lucy Foley, and I just started it, so I don't have much to go on because the crime hasn't happened at the point that I'm at. So I don't know how that's going to play out. And the book back of the book isn't telling me very much. So I'm sorry for not having a lot of insight on it. But if you have read other Lucy Foley books, I've actually only read one. I read The Guest List, but it ha- this has a very similar setup where each chapter is told from a different point of view from a person who is involved in this scenario in some way. And in this case, it's a Parisian apartment building. And each character kind of embodies a stereotype of what you would expect from a person in that position so like the back of the book will say the concierge and the the socialite and and things so you you automatically have certain assumptions about these people and then you get to find out their secrets and how they they play into this whatever crime is happening so um so this book starts with a woman named Jess arriving from England to visit her half-brother Ben who is a journalist living in Paris and she's just lost her job she works as a bartender and uh, she needs a place to crash basically for a bit and doesn't really have anyone to go to besides Ben and but they're not really close they they don't have a, a sibling relationship and so it's kind of surprising that he allows her to do this but she's sort of in a beggars can't be choosers kind of kind of situation so when she gets there um it's the middle of the night and he isn't there when she arrives he he doesn't buzz her up and she has to figure out a way to get into the building but when she so in that time that it takes her to get into the building that allows the the other people that um the have perspectives in this book um to notice her and so so like I said there's a concierge there's a rich socialite there are uh, young women that have apartments and they all have some sort of tie to to Ben so once she finally manages to get in she realizes that the apartment itself is very very swanky and that seems kind of odd for his employment level Um, it doesn't really fit with what she knows about him and it doesn't seem like from what she finds there that he has a huge presence in his own apartment so so she's just a little bit confused so ben uh the back of the book in fact tells me that ben stays missing i haven't gotten to this part yet but jess has to figure out what has happened to him and how all these neighbors were involved so if you are a fan of movies like rear window this sort of has that same satisfying feeling that everyone is aware of each other in this small space and they're all watching each other even if they don't know each other at all and um so so in this case they maybe come across each other a little bit but they're not actually acquainted with each other so so there's uh that delicious uh feeling of observing your neighbors and knowing that there's really no consequences to it because they're just strangers to you and even though they're existing in a very very small space so um i thought the guest list was a fun book i i'm hoping i'll like this too and that is the paris apartment by lucy foley yeah i read this (laughs) i didn't love it yeah i'm afraid yeah i I don't like it more than i did yeah i'll say we'll see i didn't yeah i didn't find it did you read other lucy foley books and liked them i will say that this one okay wasn't it for me yeah but I hope you like it better than I do. 
I hope so too. All I right. hope I like so, all the books I read. Pardon? I'll, I'll, I'll say I hope I like all the books I read. Yes, exactly. But I do not. <laughs> I know. I always hope I like everything. Um, okay, so I am listening to – actually, I am both reading and listening to romances right now because <laughs> I was inspired by prepping for this episode and trying to decide what to read, and I kept thinking – Oh, I should read that romance. So anyway, so I'm listening to Delilah Green Doesn't Care by Ashley Herring Blake. And the audiobook that, is but I did like it. I so know, we're I opposites this week. So I'm listening to the audiobook and it is very good. I love the narrator of this audiobook. So it's about Delilah Green, who's a photographer, and she left home as soon as she could, basically. She grew up in Oregon. She never felt like she fit in. Her dad got remarried when she was, uh, I think, it maybe eight or ten years old. And then she, so she has a stepsister and a stepmother who just, she never quite meshed with. And then her dad died, my impression is shortly after he got remarried. So she spent much of her growing up without her dad and with her stepmom and stepsister. And she just always felt kind of awkward and like she didn't fit in. And so she moved to New York and is a photographer trying to make... She also waits tables because she's not able to support herself as a photographer quite yet. Her, her stepsister, Astrid, offers her $15,000 to come back to Oregon for her wedding and to photograph all of the wedding events. So Astrid has just this laundry list of events. It's 10 days, I think, before the wedding that the, the events start happening. And so she invites Delilah to come back and participate in the wedding too but also come to be the photographer and so Delilah reluctantly agrees she has like I said she left as soon as she could so she has some pretty complicated feelings about returning to the place that she tried to get away from Um, but she agrees as soon as she gets back home she meets up with her stepsister Astrid and Astrid's two best friends and immediately sparks fly with one of Astrid's best friends. Her name is Claire. They have this immediate attraction, but both have reasons why they don't think anything would ever come of this attraction, or even if it were a fling, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be something that would last. But they keep getting thrown together because there are all these wedding events that are happening, and so they're constantly together. Also, Astrid's best friends hate Astrid's fiance and so are trying to figure out how to maybe stop the wedding and so that's that's playing into it too is they're kind of scheming behind Astrid's back and they pull Delilah into that um so it's super fun I really like it so far this got a lot of good reviews and a lot of people liked this when it came out now there's a second in a series about Astrid and then there's going to be another one I just saw the cover today um, about Iris who's one of the best friends so I think that, I don't know, this is a great rom-com and LGBTQIA romances have only become mainstream, sadly, in the last few years. So it's nice to see a romance that that features two women falling in love as that so many people loved it and were talking about it. And it was sort of like one of the best romances of last year, which is how I picked it up. And that is Delilah Green Doesn't Care by Ashley Herring Blake. Yeah, that one was really fun, and and I agree on the uh, narration aspect of mm-hmm. it. That this is one of the the books that I remember the audio the most from from the last year, mm-hmm. and it's just it's very well done. Yeah, you mentioned in one of your books there the fake relationship trope where they have to share 
a room, mm-hmm. like a hotel room and a bed. And that's something, not that they're in a fake relationship, but there's a, they have to share a hotel room and one bed. Right. And that's one of my favorite tropes because what does that happen in real life? It never <laughs> happens. But I love it. What happens it happens all the time in, in romance. romance. <laughs> but it's so great. It's like, oh no, there's only one bed. What are we going to do? Yeah. So funny. Well, I- Am I misremembering that they knew each other growing up too? And yes, they- because yes. So Claire was Claire and Iris, who are Astrid's best friends. They were best friends from the time they were little. So Delilah mm-hmm. grew up with them around, and they would make fun of her and just exclude her. And so when she initially meets Claire, Claire doesn't recognize Delilah. Yeah, so there's and that so fun. it's kind of fun because they're flirting, and Delilah knows who Claire is, right. and she thinks that this is amazing that suddenly, when she was always ostracized as a kid, now Claire is interested in her. So that's kind of a fun way that they, they get started. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's a good book. It is good. So let's go back and list off all the books. Well, the main books we talked about yeah. in this episode. <laughs> uh, so I talked about People We Meet on Vacation by Emily Henry. The Bodyguard by Catherine Center, Nine Rules to Break When Romancing a Rake by Sarah McLean, and what I'm reading this week is The Paris Apartment by Lucy Foley. And what I talked about was The Duchess Deal by Tessa Dare, Part of Your World by Abby Jimenez, Aisha at Last by Uzma Jalaluddin, and what I'm listening to this week is Delilah Green Doesn't Care by Ashley Herring Blake. So if you'd like to get in touch with us to tell us about your romances that got you to be a romance reader, we would love to hear about that. Or if you decide to pick up a romance after hearing this, we would love to hear all about your experiences. You can reach us by email at wellreadpod at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at wellreadpodcast. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your other podcast provider of choice. It really does help other people find the show when you rate us. Our theme music is Kitten by Poddington Bear. We keep our show notes at wellreadpodcast.wordpress.com where you can find a listing of every book we talked about in this and every episode. Thank you all for listening and happy reading.